Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Thank you for joining us today in this episode of Sarcoma Insight. We are discussing osteosarcomas. We have a wonderful guest with us today, uh, who's Dr. Christopher Collier. Um, Dr. Collier is a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon. He takes care of malignant as well as benign tumors in children and adults. Uh, he currently works as assistant professor at the Indiana University School of Medicine, University of Chicago for Medical School, residency on Case Western, University of Chicago for Fellowship, and now in Indiana. Welcome, Chris. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks, Sizu, for inviting me to join and look forward to the discussion. Our topic for today are osteosarcomas. So um, for our listeners and, and everyone out there, um, can you just give them sort of what your thought is or what you tell patients who've been diagnosed with this? What is an osteosarcoma? Yeah, of course. Um, so first, certainly a diagnosis no one wants to hear and not something that any of us in the field, I think, um, hope to tell a patient. But osteosarcoma in brief is the most common primary bone tumor that, that we treat. And when I say that, what I mean is that the tumor itself actually starts inside of the bone, whereas a lot of the cancers that we treat and that people hear about, um, friends that you may know that have had cancer, uh, they start in the organs and sometimes spread to bone, but osteosarcoma is different in that it actually starts there. And unfortunately, it predominantly affects children, adolescents, and then there is a second peak in late adulthood. Um, it's a cancer that, as time goes on, we haven't seen a great deal of improvement uh, since the 1980s, 1990s, uh, when patients started receiving chemotherapy. And I'm sure we'll get to some of that discussion now. Uh, so certainly something near and dear to my heart, uh, someone who does research in this area, and uh, something that I hope um, we can shed a little light on today. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go any further, Chris, can you just give us a, just a quick, and we'll probably touch on that a little bit later, but you know, you're, you're involved in the in innovative basic science clinical research uh, arm at your institution. Can you just give us just a quick background on what that entails for you and what, what you do? Well, sure. Part of my job um, not only is to treat patients with cancer and treat them through surgery, certainly any time you have cancer, there's a lot of different people involved from medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, um, social workers, therapists, et cetera. Uh, but another part of my job is to do research. And, um, you know, the way I view it is both of those things go hand in hand. One inspires the other. And an area of focus for me has been osteosarcoma in the past and just trying to find new therapies to make outcomes better for patients. So we, we can chat a little bit more about that, but I, I think first, maybe, Izu, we can just talk about the disease itself and give a little bit of background. For sure. Um, something that we've talked about for people listening so far, so you can have sort of a second peak of this. So osteosarcoma can occur in older patients, sometimes related to people with a history of Paget's disease, but more commonly in children and teens and young adults. Um, for patients who get osteosarcoma, Chris, where do you commonly see it in these patients? What part of the body? Most of these occur in long bones. And long bones, we're thinking primarily arms and legs. Uh, the bones 
that do not include the hands and feet, so the bigger bones in the body. And in particular, they occur around the knee. The thought is that a lot of osteosarcomas may be related to growth. And so commonly the areas that grow the, the most or the fastest even are where we see these. And that just happens to be around the knee at the end of the femur bone or thigh bone or at the top of the tibia bone, which is in the lower leg. Uh, with that said, we can also see these anywhere in the body where, they're, where, where bone occurs. Uh, and occasionally even outside in the soft tissues. Uh, and that includes areas like the pelvis, spine, skull, et cetera. So pretty broad disease, but in vast majority of cases, we're talking about around the knee and, and in the extremities. Yeah, and I think osteosarcoma, it's, it's an interesting one because uh, often when patients do present, they can present with metastatic disease. Um, can you speak a little bit about this? Yeah. So metastatic disease occurs when a cancer is spread from where it started uh, to another area of the body. And unfortunately, that process, once the cancer is spread, that is what worries us most as clinicians and what can cause the most harm. And in some cases, unfortunately, uh, death in a patient. And so it's really important that we understand whether metastasis or that spread has occurred and find ways to treat it once it has, or if it has. Um, an osteosarcoma, when cancer does spread from the bone, it tends to spread to the lung. And that's the most common site uh, in about 10 to 20% of patients at diagnosis. Uh, it can also spread to the bone or even within the same bone. Uh, and that would be the most common site, uh, second most common site, excuse me. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. Um, that's why we spend, you know, a lot of us spend a lot of time thinking about this and trying to figure out ways to, you know, help patients and their families. What would you say are some risk factors to people developing osteosarcoma? So you know, we know of some gene mutations um, that could cause this. Yeah. So I get that. I get that question. I'm sure you do too. Easy a lot. Uh, you know, what caused this? Why? Why did this happen? And as someone who studies some of the basic science around osteosarcoma as well, you know, I think the simplest answer is we really don't know. Um, at a basic level, at some point in time, some cells in the body obtain some mutations in the DNA that cause them to grow uncontrollably and develop into a cancer. I mean, that at its core is what cancer is. And Yes, we have some gene mutations, RBP53, that are very common in osteosarcoma. And there are some rare conditions where patients will actually inherit a mutation in one of those genes. Uh, but the majority of cases are sporadic or spontaneous. Um, we don't really know what caused them. And so, you know, when I, when I have a patient ask me that, I think probably the most important thing that I do is reassure them that there's nothing they could have done differently um, and that sometimes these things just happen. With that said, there are some very special cases, particularly when patients are older and they develop an osteosarcoma, where we, where we know there are risk factors. And those include patients who've had a cancer before and have had radiation um, older patients with this bone disease, this bone disorder called Pageant's disease. And 
And those two things probably make up the bulk of the secondary osteosarcomas that occur after something else. Uh, but for kids, adolescents, probably the largest group of patients that we treat, we're still trying to learn more about why this happens. And the hope is that if we can figure that out, that we can treat patients better in the future. Um, one thing, Yuzu, if you don't mind, just to back up a little bit, we talked about lung metastasis and, and why this is such an important mm -hmm. issue. Um, I don't mind. Perfect. So one, one story I sometimes tell my patients if they're really interested in kind of the evolution of treatment for osteosarcoma is uh, really one of the biggest triumphs we have in cancer is the development of chemotherapy for osteosarcoma. And that's because back before the 1970s and 80s, when they started using chemotherapy, patients routinely, and you have to remember this is in an age where they didn't have MRI scans, they didn't really know where the cancer was other than plain x-rays, patients would routinely get amputations for this disease. Correct. And, that is yeah. correct. And still, with an amputation, only 20% of patients would be alive five years after. And that's incredible to me because, you know, that group of patients, they didn't have, and we're talking about patients that didn't have metastatic disease at diagnosis that we could see, that we could detect on a CT scan or an x-ray of the chest, but still only 20% of them were still alive at five years. And so from that, people started to think about this and realize that the metastatic disease, when it occurs, the cancer spreads very early. And that's why it's so important to give chemotherapy now because that treats the cancer that is spread that we can't see yet, the small cells harbored in the lungs and other places. And so My, micrometastasis. micrometastasis, exactly. And so when we give chemotherapy now, and when they first started giving this, you know, survival has jumped up to 70% uh, for patients who don't have metastatic disease that we can see at diagnosis. And so really going from 20% to 70%, it's an incredible triumph of medicine. And when this start, started first coming out in the 80s, um, you know, this really had profound implications for, our, for, for patients with this disease. Problem is we haven't made much ground since then. And people are still getting the same medications that they got back then. Yeah. And so we'll get into some of that as we continue the conversation. And some of the next step with this is, talking about a patient who does have osteosarcoma, usually when they do present, or more commonly would have some degree of pain or swelling that's noticed, what would be sort of your algorithm and workup for these patients? So, so, or if I can put it another way, someone would come to you with a mass, which we are presuming is osteosarcoma, what steps would you take for them? What diagnostic studies or blood tests would they anticipate having done as well as any other things like biopsies. Yeah, so completely agree with most patients present with pain in the limb and swelling. Um, and that may be something that's been going on for a while. And, you know, maybe they just attributed it to a muscle sprain or an injury. Um, but as time goes on, it becomes more severe. And usually that history is a little bit drawn out. There's kind of a period where Symptoms have been present, but, you know, like a lot of things in life, we sort of shake them off and keep going. And by the time they end up making their way to an orthopedic oncologist or an orthopedic surgeon who treats cancer, 
much of that workup has already been done by a primary care doc or an orthopedic doctor who doesn't treat cancer. And usually at the beginning, what you need is an x-ray. And for osteosarcoma, oftentimes you can have a really good idea that that's what it is based on the x-ray alone. Ultimately, for any cancer, you need to have a biopsy to show that that's what what you're dealing with, where they can actually look at the tissue in that area, look at the tumor under a microscope, and be sure that it is an osteosarcoma. But an x-ray is very characteristic of this disease. And then you'll have providers at some point, once you've kind of gone down the path a little bit, get advanced imaging like a CT scan, MRI scan, just to look at the local anatomy. You know, where are the blood vessels? Is there a soft tissue mass associated where the tumor has broken free of the bone and started growing into the soft tissues. From there, a biopsy is critical, as I already mentioned, and that's usually the stage where you'll get it. And sometimes that can be a needle biopsy. Sometimes that can be an open biopsy. But once you have that data and you know that you're dealing with an osteosarcoma, uh, the next step is staging. Staging is, the we've talked about this some, but staging is the process where we look for that metastatic disease. And we're asking the question, has the cancer spread? How aggressive is the cancer? What grade is it? Which means how fast is it growing? And what the size is. And we put all that into a system called staging, and that helps us make decisions on treatment. And it helps us um, give patients information about prognosis. We had an episode on staging for sarcomas, episode two, I believe. And and we, we do talk about some of this. So for example, one thing that I think a lot of our listeners will know is that uh, especially when you're concerned for a sarcoma, we often will get a CT scan of the chest. All right. Um, what other studies would you say, uh, would you want to obtain when someone, when you're staging a patient for osteosarcoma? Yeah, so the most common site of metastatic disease is the lungs. So CT scan of the chest every time. Uh, the second most common site of metastatic disease is to bone. So most people get a bone scan. I think some people now are starting to turn towards a CT PET. Not that one is better than the other, but just another option that at some institutions um, they prefer. Uh, but Certainly on every patient, you want to look at the entire area of the lungs and the entire skeleton to look for those two most common sites of spread. Very good. And I, and I think for our trainees who happen to be listening, definitely um, important points. What would you anticipate you know, seeing on a biopsy for, for these patients? But from an orthopedic oncology standpoint, you know, what would we be you know, seeing, um, if at all? Great question. I, you know, I guess I'll first throw out the disclosure. I don't think either of us are, are pathologists. And so for our pathology colleagues, you know, that might be listening or people who've interacted with those people, you know, I think we're thankful to have them um, as experts help us with, with some of these diagnoses. With that said, you know, just from a basic kind of overview standpoint, for an osteosarcoma, you're looking for bone production, mineral production. So bones are made out of mineral. Um, and when you look at these slides, and they really are looking at tissue from a patient on a slide with a microscope, uh, 
in an osteosarcoma, they expect to see what we call malignant osteoid production, which means it's bone or mineral matrix, but it doesn't look like normal bone. It doesn't have the normal osteoblast rimming it for those of you that are in training uh, that we see in normal bone. And Izu, I'm sure you're getting to this, but there's a lot of different types of osteosarcoma. Um, but at its core, it's the presence of that osteoid that makes the diagnosis. And I think definitely you want to see some osteoid. And, you know, I think what ends up happening with a lot of sarcomas is that you have uh, increased proliferation of cells. And they're often very disorganized uh, and, and or haphazard in their arrangement, right? So the normal bone loses its regular um, formations and looks very disorganized. There are other things you would see on the pathology slides as well, um, like, you know, really large, irregular nuclei, you know, multiple nucleoli, et cetera. But One of my mentors would always say, and I think he got this from Dempsey Springfield, who's a really well-known orthopedic oncologist uh, who worked at a couple places, including Florida and Harvard. But he would always say these, these tumors, they look like the bar scene in Star Wars. Every cell is a little different. Um, yeah. and they all, they all behave a little bit differently. And that's really what defines a cancer, you know, that abnormal growth and abnormal behavior. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a really good reference. So what about for people who have not watched Star Wars? <laughs> well, <laughs> what's a common, commonly watched movie with the bar scene? Well, so in the bar scene, you got aliens from all over the place and they all just, they all, have different shapes, sizes, faces, you know, so. It could be like the, you know, the uh, finale of the uh, Avengers movie, Infinity War. There you go. Right. Where everybody was fighting, everybody was different. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to make it relatable to some of the uh, people who may not like Star Wars, which I don't know why anyone wouldn't, but, uh, but yeah. Okay. So on pathology, uh, we've touched on this a bit. Uh, you're able to identify what particular type of um, osteosarcoma it is. So for primarily the discussion we're having today is based on the conventional osteosarcoma. There are other different types of osteosarcomas that exist, such as your periosteo, which is the lining of the outside of the bone, parosteo, telangiectatic uh, in nature. Again, all of these will be individual topics um, for later episodes or focusing on our conventional osteosarcoma today. So assuming we have now seen a patient with pain, with a swelling, had an x-ray, we're concerned about you know increased bone formation, um, additional imaging, a biopsy, we have now staged them. What would be the treatment, expected treatment for this patient? Well, at that point, you've probably already met with a medical oncologist and what I tell my patients, because, you know, for us, Izu, we are often one of the first people in the cancer system that these patients will meet. But for a long period of their treatment, uh, we're always available and we're always around and in communication. But your medical oncologist is really going to be in the driver's seat for a while. And it's after that diagnosis has been made that they will often drive the staging process. And then for osteosarcoma, standard of care, almost always, unless it's one of those unusual types that you mentioned, involves chemotherapy. And the medical oncologist will do 
their work and take over right after that diagnosis to initiate chemotherapy. So what does that look like? It involves getting a port placed, um, which is basically a permanent IV. You can think about it in the chest that allows delivery of those chemotherapy agents. And for osteosarcoma, um, those agents, as I said, they haven't changed for a long time. They're really effective, uh, but they haven't changed really much since the 80s. And, and those are three drugs. And uh, I'm not a medical oncologist, again, a disclosure, but those are methotrexate, doxorubicin, or adriamycin. Those are the same thing. And a cisplatin. And they'll have to check your heart, um, look at your kidney function, all these things to make sure these drugs are delivered safely over time. Right. And, and we will also plan to have um, medical oncologists on the show at some point to shed light on, shed more light on all of these things, um, as well as a pathologist um, in the near future. And so any sort of burning questions, sort of more than what, you know, uh, Chris, Dr. Collier has uh, shared, we'll, we'll be certain that those will get answered on this show. That's great. And, and, you know, I hope what your listeners are taking away from some of this is this really is a team effort. Uh, it's important to have all of these people available and in communication to take care of such a complicated problem. Um, so, yeah, so, so after chemotherapy has been started, you know, that usually will last about 10 weeks. And we call that preoperative or neoadjuvant, both mean the same thing, chemotherapy. And then that is when we talk about surgery, or at least hopefully by then we've talked about it, but that's when we perform a surgery after that initial preoperative chemotherapy. So either do you want to talk a little bit about surgery or? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we definitely should. I mean, can you imagine two surgeons not talking about surgery? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think definitely uh something that has changed, right? We went from, we went from a time period where, you know, people were getting, patients were getting amputations for every single osteosarcoma diagnosis. So based on, we talked about different locations of the body where the tumor can occur. And so, you know, if it was around the knee, you were getting a below the knee or above the knee amputation. But when it comes into your proximal femur, right, which is around the hip or your pelvis, people were getting parts of these taken out completely, having that entire leg taken out, et cetera. So the, you can imagine that these are relatively morbid procedures. And over time, we have been able to identify um, that what we needed to do is have a margin negative surgery, right? A wide resection where we take out the whole tumor and an area of surrounding normal tissue. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, and this is really sort of the goal uh, that we have uh, in terms of approaching a surgical resection for patients. Do you have anything to add? Well, I think that that last point is really worth repeating. You know, the, we're, we're orthopedic surgeons that do oncology, but in this setting, the oncology part takes precedent. And it's really critical, I think, that patients understand that a lot of these decisions we make around surgery, we're trying to balance, you know, controlling the cancer with long-term function, particularly when we're talking about limb sparing surgery or saving the leg compared to amputation. But at the end of the day, we can only talk about limb sparing surgery if we feel that we can control the cancer. 
And so margins, meaning getting all of the cancer out of the patient, that is priority number one. And if we feel we can do that safely, then we can think about ways to reconstruct or put back the leg, replace that missing bone in a way that's going to be functional for the patient as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, it really is is one hell of a balancing act, right? So a lot of times, you know, large tumors can start to have big soft tissue components extending to neurovascular structures, right? And so um, we we have to make always try to find that balance of function uh, as well as treating treating the cancer itself. I know we've sort of gone from amputation for everyone and adopted limb sparing techniques in combination with chemotherapy. Um, what are your thoughts of some of the sort of newer methods that are coming in about for treating osteosarcoma, such as our targeted therapies uh, and immunotherapy? You know, I, I think there are some therapies out there that show promise, but none are proven right now. Um, that is why this MAP which is the abbreviation for those three drugs I mentioned before, methotrexate, adriamycin, which is the same as doxorubicin, and cisplatin, that those three drugs still remain, you know, 40 years later, uh, the first-line treatment because they work really well for patients. Um, it is true that for patients who either don't respond or later have a recurrence of tumor or develop metastatic disease, God forbid, you know, there are other agents that people are trying. Um, our institution, we're, we're looking at, for, for those really challenging cases, you know, can we do genomic testing um, and precision medicine to find some other medications that might be uniquely targetable um, for that cancer? And I think a lot of institutions, maybe even most big cancer centers around the country are doing the same thing. But at the end of the day, for osteosarcoma, um, we haven't had a new drug come out that has dramatically changed things for 40 or 50 years. And so certainly a place where a lot of people are working hard to improve outcome and a place where um, I think, I hope in the future, we will see some big changes. Yes, that's the, that is definitely the hope. And as we continue to improve our understanding uh, of osteosarcoma, I think we'll be, we're going to be able to elucidate more and more answers uh, about additional ways to augment our treatment for patients with this uh, diagnosis. All right. I would like to sort of start to um, finish by going into survival uh, information. And so we talked about this uh, already but just to summarize everything, we usually try to go with a five-year survival rate. So um, would you be able to let sort of the, the um, listeners know what that looks like for patients with an osteosarcoma diagnosis, then if there are anything that would potentially make that worse? Yeah, of course. Uh, although I'm going to throw out a caveat that I give all my patients anytime we get into some of the survival data. So, you know, these studies, they're looking at a group of people, and let's say it's 100 people, and they can tell you or predict how many people will be alive at five years. I mean, that's what a survival, five-year survival rate is. But, you know, I, I tell my patients is you're not a hundred people, you're one person. And so just keep that in mind. But with that said, um, for osteosarcoma, if you have localized disease, meaning nothing has spread at diagnosis, 
your five-year survival rate's around 70%. And that's the number that I said just hasn't changed much for a long time. Uh, certainly, if you have metastatic disease at the time diagnosis is made in that initial staging, uh, that's going to drop survival rate down closer to 20 or 30%, depending on what study you read. Uh, we have other indicators as sort of time goes on and we do staging uh, that would suggest a worse survival. So the size of the tumor, whether there are skip lesions, which occurs when, a, as Yuzu pointed out before, when, a, when you have a tumor in a bone, sometimes the tumor can spread within that same bone and you can have a secondary area. That's called a skip lesion. That's why we need to get an MRI of the entire femur, if it's in the femur, et cetera. Uh, that has, carries its own prognosis. Um, that's a little bit worse than someone who doesn't have a skip lesion. And then finally, when we remove that tumor after the patient has had preoperative chemotherapy, our pathologists are going to look at that tumor under a microscope and they give us a number of how much of that tumor is dead, how much of it is necrotic, meaning dead. And if that number is greater than 90%, meaning 90% of the tumor has been killed by the chemo, then that is a really favorable prognosis. And if it's less than that, you know, the, the prognosis is less favorable. Um, but those are the main things in my mind that I kind of think about as we're, as we're working through the process in terms of um, providing insight into prognosis. I don't know, would you add anything else, Izu? Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely everything I, I I would have said. That's pretty thorough. Um, and and I think, yeah, and, and we we can't say this enough. You know, if you if you do fall in that seventy percent, it's a hundred percent for you. So, um, we always try to uh, wrap up with a summary of some salient points. Um, so you know, I have a couple. And, you know, you can add to that if you would like, just off the topic. So we, we do know that osteosarcoma is a primary bone tumor and uh, it is malignant in nature. And one of the important things to know about these is they can met metastasize, especially pretty early to the lungs, as well as to other bones. And so as a result, whenever there's an osteosarcoma diagnosis, chemotherapy is a very important part of the treatment algorithm and chemotherapy in combination with surgery is really the mainstay of treatment at this point. No, I think that's really well said. And I, I think I would just echo something we, we mentioned before when talking about surgery in particular, you know, every one of these cancers is a little bit different. Uh, a lot of these frameworks in terms of treatment are the same. But particularly when it comes to surgery, there's a lot of options out there. And I think it's really important that treatment and surgery be tailored to that patient's specific situation, their age, their interests, their lifestyle, where the tumor is, the various reconstructive options that might be available in that place at that time. But there's no right answer for a lot of, a lot of these things. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have to do what we have to do to get the tumor out. And then from there, um, there's no perfect option, but um, depending on the situation, um, you know, there, there are a lot more options now than there used to be for trying to preserve function and, and save a limb. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much took out my, my, my closing statement that I was saying. <laughs> so um, 
Uh, so it's important to note that every patient's case is unique and the treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on discussion with your team of physicians. Um, and if you would like more information, please feel free to check out the links uh, attached to the description of the episode as well as the articles. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Thank you to Dr. Chris Collier for being here with us um, and really um, helping shed some light on osteosarcoma and give us some really key uh, information. Uh, if you enjoyed the episodes, please feel free to hit subscribe. Uh, and you can follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at Sarcoma Insight Podcast. Sarcoma Insight.